In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. O God, whose nature and property is ever to have mercy and to forgive, receive our humble petitions, and though we be tied and bound with the chain of our sins, yet let the pitifulness of thy great mercy loose us for the honor of Jesus Christ, our mediator and advocate. Amen. When I was a boy, my grandmother, who was a very devout Baptist, would sometimes make comments about the Christian faith and her own interests and curiosities. Once when I was probably about seven years old, I was on her knee, and she said to me, I heard something about the Catholics down the street. And I said, what did you hear? She said, I hear they sin six days a week and they go to confession on Sunday, and on Monday morning they start all over again. This is one of the misconceptions about the sacrament of confession and how it is to be used in the Christian life. Our mini retreat for this winter conference will be on the sacrament of confession or penance. Many of you have already reported your reviews about the book that was suggested for this. Words such as dry, technical, boring, were a few of the descriptions for the book. Indeed, it is all of those things, but it can be a useful resource. Part of the plan for this was that you would find that book technical and dry and boring, and in light of that, you would find this more interesting. And I hope that you do. I pray that you find it more interesting today. We'll see what happens. A method to the madness. A method to the madness, yes. So what of the sacrament of confession, and how does that play a role vital to our spiritual lives in Anglicanism? The first thing we should say about the sacrament of penance is that from the time of the Oxford movement in particular within Anglicanism, but going all the way back to the Anglican reform in the 16th century, the sacrament of penance has not only been maintained, not only used, but reorientated and understood in a fresh perspective. For us, the sacrament of penance is an instrument of pastoral care. It is a healing ministry, a therapeutic, remedial ministry. We never deal with confession in terms of the juridical or judicial or the penal or judgment or retribution, no. Many people approach the sacrament of penance having come from other traditions and they find it fearful and intimidating because they think of it as a judgment that is wielded upon the soul by a priest. Anglicanism has a much healthier perspective on this. It is a sacrament of God's healing grace and mercy. The tribunal that is offered to us in the sacrament of penance is a tribunal of love, of compassion, of forgiveness, of reconciliation, of mercy from our Lord Jesus Christ. As we begin, let us consider the theological underpinnings of the sacrament of penance and why it has played such a prominent role in the life of Christians from the time the Lord rose from the dead. We recall that when our Lord rose in glory on Easter Day, he leapt from the tomb and ran to the apostles from that tomb, bearing his Easter peace. 
And our Lord said to the apostles in his glorified body, Receive the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins you forgive, they are forgiven. Whosoever sins you retain, they are retained. And what does our Lord say when he says these things as well? He says, Peace be with you. Christ has won our peace by his death and resurrection, by his victory over evil, sin, and death, by conquering the grave in his glorified body. Christ offers the only real peace that ever will be. The divine mercy is the peace that we are offered, the peace that is extended to us by Christ, who lives to reconcile us to the Father. The sacrament, commonly called penance or confession, is provided by the church in order to assure persons who have sinned after baptism the forgiveness of all sins. <clears throat> we believe in the Apostles' Creed, and in the Apostles' Creed, we profess the forgiveness of sins. You may recall that in the early church, there were heretics who denied the possibility of the forgiveness of sin after baptism. We think of the Donatists. We think of the Novatians. These were rigorists who held that if you fell from baptismal grace, you could never again be saved or forgiven. One was lost. No, that is not what we believe. We believe in the forgiveness of sins. This is a central truth of the Catholic faith. This promise and the covenanted means of grace through which God gives to us this guarantee for the forgiveness of our sins after baptism is offered to us in a sacramental way. Just as baptism, a sacrament, washes away all of our sins and makes us the children of God by grace and adoption, so God uses confession or penance, which is also a sacrament, to cleanse us from the sins we personally commit following our baptism. The Church Fathers eloquently and beautifully describe confession as the second plank after shipwreck, meaning that if the ship goes down, there's still a plank floating we can hold on to. And that is the sacrament of confession. This is the promised gift of the forgiveness of our sins, and it is a promise that is extended to you and me. It is offered to us personally by our Lord, especially after we choose to cut ourselves off from or reject the grace of God given to us in our baptism. Because we have been made in the image and likeness of God, we always possess freedom, free will, choice. And this is especially true after we have been refashioned and restored to life in God and born again by water and the Holy Ghost in baptism. Although baptism causes our new birth and brings us into the life of grace, it does not remove our free will. In fact, it heals our free will. It is supposed to restore our will to God. And it does not eliminate in us our own desires. Yes, we are redeemed, but we still suffer the effects of the fall, and we can choose to go our own way. We call this concupiscence. Concupiscence is the tender to sin. It is a desire for self-gratification. 
It is misplaced love, disordered affection. And this concupiscence is still in our soul after baptism, and we have to root it out. We have to cooperate with God's grace to move that away from our souls. As Father Matt said to us this morning in his homily, we are to die to ourselves. That is the process of sanctification that takes place after we are baptized. To continually put the self to death, rather living unto God by faith, hope, and love. This is a process. The process of grace roots out this flaw from our souls, and we are changed over time into the likeness of Christ, who is the new man. The new man, Christ, has been implanted in us in baptism, and we have been engrafted and incorporated into him, and now that Christ lives in us, we are no longer to live for ourselves. But in short, we can still sin after our baptism. If we choose to commit serious sins, such as pride, sloth, lust, anger, greed, gluttony, envy, we can, by our own choice, separate ourselves from the grace of God and reject God's life, God's kingdom, God's dominion. And the Board of Examining Chaplains over the last year, there's been a lot of good talk about what is the gospel, what is the good news of Jesus Christ. The good news is that Jesus is Lord. He is Lord of the world. He is king, and by our baptism, we are brought under the gracious dominion of Christ and his kingdom. When we commit mortal sin, we relinquish our citizenship in the kingdom, and by repentance, we can be restored. So we need a cure, a remedy for our post-baptismal sin, whatever that sin may be. And what our Lord has given to us through the church is the sacrament of penance. Contrary to some popular opinion in evangelicalism, it is possible deliberately to sever oneself from grace and lose the state of salvation and place ourselves outside the communion of the church. When we sin, we always sin particularly personally. Our sins are very personal. But we also sin as members of the body, members of the body of Christ, the church. And therefore, we are responsible not only to God for our personal sin, but we are responsible to the church of which we are living members. For we are truly part of the blessed company of all faithful people. And the faithful people are the baptized. God wants us to be held accountable for our sins. He invites us to renounce our sins and offers us the way by which we can grow in holiness and love and seek to set aside the sins of our past life. Our sins not only offend God's love and honor, but they offend our own human dignity as the children of God. Our sins wound and hurt the body of which we are a living part. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all are honored. St. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 12. So our Lord has provided for the church through the sacrament of penance 
a promised sacramental means by which we are individually and personally restored to the full communion of the faith and sacraments, these realities can be abandoned if we commit serious sin. As we will see, though, the sacrament of penance takes us beyond this into the healing of the soul. It reunites us with Christ in his church, and the priest who gives it to us is a representative of Christ himself. We must always remember that the priest is a living icon, a living instrument of Christ. It is the invisible and risen Christ who through the priest hears the penitent's confession and grants the gift of absolution. What does absolution mean? It means to loosen. It means to release. When we commit sin, we tie a knot, a knot in our soul. And absolution loosens the knot. It sets us free, sets us free. It is liberation. That is what absolution is really all about. It is God's word to us that our sins are forgiven, and the priest who represents the church has the authority to reconcile the penitent with the church's communion. The interior means of access to this wonderful gift of grace is repentance. And this is what we'll be talking about in more detail as we go through today. The Lord calls us to repent of our sins, which means turning the heart and the mind and the soul back to God. In Australia, if one is in a car, I'm told, my spiritual director for many years was an Australian. He said, as you're driving around the country, if you have to make a U-turn, they call it hanging a U-E. And that is what we are called to do in the spiritual life at every moment. Every day is a day of uh, a daily call, a daily conversion to our Lord. We are to hang the U-E, to make the U-turn. We call that metanoia in Greek. It's more than just changing the mind. We often hear that term used. It's changing our mind back towards God. It is also the changing of our hearts back to God. This is the language of Thomas Cranmer in the Book of Common Prayer. Our language in the service is penitential. Sometimes visitors or inquisitors will say, your service is so penitential, it just seems so negative. We should feel better about ourselves, and I'm okay, you're okay, and all of that nonsense. Well, it's rubbish. We're not okay. There is no health in us, as the confession says, and those of us who examine our consciences well know that. We need, God. we need God's health in us. There is no health in us. We need God's health to be imparted to us. So metanoia is the turning and changing of the heart back to God in what the early fathers called the tears of repentance. With the tears of repentance, our own selfishness immediately begins to die. Recently, I was very privileged to offer a retreat on the sin of acedia to the gentlemen of All Saints Church in Charlottesville, Virginia. And in that, we discussed the tears, the gift of tears, which is related to repentance. When we genuinely find that contrition, that sorrow of heart, that sense of sadness for having offended the God who loves us, and when that brings tears to our eyes, 
immediately our souls are already beginning to heal. And we are already overcoming our own narcissism in the spiritual life. The devil has no place there when the tears come. We must repent of our sins and turn our hearts back to God. In repentance, we must be truly sorry for our sins, sorrow in heart for having hurt God. Can God be hurt by our sins? Isn't he impassable? Does he not find himself unchanging? Certainly, God is impassable, but God is also personal. And when we offend him with our sins, we hurt his love. We offend his love. Repentance requires an acknowledgement of our sin, a recognition that we have sinned in his sight, and we are called to turn to God in sorrow for our sins, in love, in love. You can already begin to see that when we use the sacrament of penance as priests, and we use this as an instrument of mercy, we are leading people back to the house of the Father. We are bringing them back into the embrace of God's love. We are, we are called, we are urged to draw people to this sacrament and to a life of repentance, not out of fear for God's wrath, for fear of hell, or for getting caught in our sins. In theology, we call that the sin of, or the act of, attrition. Attrition is simply fear of God's wrath, or going to hell, or being ashamed for having sinned against God. But God wants us to love Him. And when we love Him, genuine repentance is accompanied by contrition, the contrition of the heart. Repentance through fear is not contrition, but it is merely fear of God's judgment, of God's anger. The Lord wants us to have a broken and contrite heart. As we read in Psalm 51, a heart that realizes that God has been rejected and unloved, and we should not be so selfish as to flee God's wrath merely out of a sense of fear or having been caught. As St. John Chrysostom writes, we must have contrition on the heart, confession on the lips, amendment in the life. Recognizing our sins and seeking to hate them and to reject them and to find true sorrow, we confess our sins to God, and in confession, we can do so in the presence of his icon, the priest. Then receiving God's great forgiveness, we have the grace and the power, a power that is not of ourselves, to amend our lives and change them, making them better, seeking to be holier as we determine in our hearts not to sin again. The Lord wants us to flee from sin and abandon them. And we are aided by the grace of God as we receive a grace that is outside of ourselves. We cannot do this on our own. We are not Pelagians. We are not trying to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. That gets about half an inch off the ground. Can't do it. This is entirely God's grace. All is grace. And so it is the grace of God given in this sacrament that enables us then to lead a life of communion with Him. Our Lord Jesus Christ has appointed a sacramental means 
by which we can reapproach God and be restored to the fullness of life and grace, Jesus gave this power to the apostles, his own personal authority, his power to forgive, to forgive sins in his name and person so that the sins of the faithful can be forgiven. And we can bring reconciliation, recommunion to repentant sinners. The apostles were given the power to stand in our Lord's place as his own representatives on earth, continuing the very work that the Father gave to Christ our Lord, continuing the work and ministry of Christ our priest, Christ the absolver of our sins. Jesus said to them, Peace be with you, as the Father hath sent me, even so send I you. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatsoever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatsoever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. This is grace and glory. This is what our Lord came to do for us. He has provided this to his church. And we who are ordained as priests and bishops have been given this authority for the salvation of souls. We thank God, we thanked him this morning in morning prayer for the means of grace and the hope of glory. That is what we are talking about here. The sacrament of penance, so often neglected in Anglicanism, is a means of grace. And we should take advantage of it. It has been provided for each and every one of us. And so that is what we are considering today. The successors of the apostles possessed the commission and the authority of the Twelve to forgive sins. Bishops in apostolic succession have this authority. In turn, they share it with the priests, the second order of the apostolic ministry, and together, bishops and priests continue this priestly ministry of Christ in the world, especially when we administer the sacrament of confession. How often do we consider that that is really the heart and the essence of what we are called to do as priests. In the Anglican ordinal, when a man is ordained to the priesthood, he is ordained with the words of Christ in St. John 20, receive the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins you forgive, they are forgiven. Those of us who have been admitted to the priesthood are constituted a continued ministry of Christ's very priesthood in a sacramental way. So our Lord indeed gave us the sacrament of penance through the church, through the apostles, so that the sins of people can be forgiven. And this is by the power of the Holy Ghost. This grace has been entrusted to the church, and she has unwaveringly and faithfully administered it for 2,000 years. It is part of apostolic tradition. The sacrament of penance is the single most important aid in the church for maintaining the Christian life of repentance, of holiness, and faith. It is, in fact, so underused as it is with Anglicans, the most effective means by which we may examine our lives, repent of our sin, and receive the grace of God, His life and power, to change us from the inside out. Bishop John Cahoon, who was an ACC bishop, used to say, we know the sacraments are real because they change people. Sometimes they change people for the better, 
And in some instances, they actually can change people for the worse if they're not in a state of real repentance. The sacraments are real, and they convey a real power on our souls. So if penance, if confession is a sacrament, how are we to approach this? We know that we can live better lives and we can seek to be more and more conformed to the likeness of God as we progress on the path of holiness and transform more and more into the image and likeness of Christ. Every sacrament has to have an outward and visible sign. The outward and visible sign of confession is the confession of specific sins by a baptized Christian before a priest and then this is followed by absolution, in which the priest grants the forgiveness of sins through the sign of the cross and the prayer. Many of us surely realize that the Church of England retained the sacrament of absolution in the Book of Common Prayer and the sacramental formula for giving absolution. That formula is not found in the American prayer book, which is very odd. It should be put back. But in the 1662 prayer book, you have this formula of absolution. Our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath left power to his church to absolve all sinners who truly repent and believe in him, of his great mercy forgive thee thine offenses. And by his authority committed unto me, I absolve thee from all thy sins. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. So when we hear confessions, it's very important for us to use this traditional sacramental form. You can find it online, print it out, and put it in your prayer book. It's a very important thing to have, or one can simply memorize it. But it's very important to have that traditional form of absolution. The inward and spiritual grace of confession is the forgiveness of all sins committed after baptism. The sins committed are cast into the ocean of God's mercy, never to be remembered again. Every sacramental confession renders the soul a tabula rasa, a clean slate. It is a new start. It is, in fact, mystically, a second baptism. All the grace that God gave to us in our baptism is restored to us when we receive the gift of absolution. That's how important it is for us. It is the restoration and the recovery of baptismal grace, reconciliation with the church and her faith and sacraments. And there is a grace in penance to deepen and increase our contrition with a supernatural power given to us by God so that we can live in holiness, prayer, and good works. It actually comes into our soul to work inside of us to deepen and increase our love for God and our sorrow for sin. The grace of absolution deepens our union with our Lord and gives us an opportunity to increase in our cooperation with the grace of God. It heals the soul from the effects of sin. It is the balm of Gilead. It heals the soul and gives us a power to avoid sin in the future. Perhaps this may be, for us in the 21st century, the most dynamic aspect of the sacrament of absolution, which is that when we receive it, the Holy Ghost 
enters into our soul in such a deep way that he uncovers inside of us sins, thoughts, actions that have been long conceived. The Holy Ghost is able then to work deeply within us to penetrate into the innermost part of our being to uncover the things that we have hidden from God. One of the great spiritual fathers of the Eastern Church once wrote that the way of spiritual healing is exposure of sin. Simply to expose it to God in the mind and the heart and the soul, that exposure is disinfectant. It is sunlight. When we expose our sin in our mind and our heart, but especially in confession, when we can verbalize what we have done instantly, that opens it to God's healing power. In absolution, the Holy Ghost comes into us to probe more deeply into the recesses of the mind and the heart and the soul to open us up to a deeper reception of divine grace. And there are areas of our lives, areas in our spiritual lives, in our personal lives, which probably lie very deeply concealed, hidden, perhaps even unintentionally, maybe not deliberately at all. But the Holy Ghost given to us in absolution is invited to come in and to heal and to touch those areas and to bring them to the surface, to bubble them up, to expose them. So that when we do expose them, immediately God can begin to heal them. If any of us have ever struggled with any besetting sin, habitual sin in life, if we expose that to God, He will begin to heal it. The very act itself initiates a process of healing. And that can take place most especially, most powerfully, in confession. Confession gives us a booster shot in the spiritual life. It gives us a power to avoid sin in the future. It renews such grace in us that when the same old temptation comes around again, there is a new power now to resist it. Christ is fortifying us, strengthening us, so that we can pursue that life of holiness which he implanted in baptism. Also, this is very important for the pastors of souls, for those with the cure of souls, the sacrament of penance quiets the conscience. It brings spiritual peace and consolation, as well as an increase of power in the Christian life to battle for Christ. When we were baptized, we became the soldiers of Christ. And we remember that beautiful prayer in the common prayer book, that we are soldiers and servants unto our life's end. We are manfully to fight under Christ's banner against, the sin, against sin, the world, and the devil, and to continue Christ's faithful soldier and servant. That is given a new electrical charge in confession, because there's nothing more courageous than going to confession to confront ourselves, to confront our own sin and sinfulness, that in itself is the Holy Spirit working in us, building in us courage, so that we can overcome our spiritual foe, and leaving, having been absolved, 
we are recharged, we are re-energized to take on the world, the flesh, and the devil. Again, all is grace. It is God's grace working through us to give us this power. So the Lord Jesus comes to us in this beautiful sacrament to strengthen us in our resolve to avoid sin and live lives that are truly consecrated to the love of God. It is a tremendous spiritual benefit to us, for God uses its special grace to make us more and more holy. This inward and spiritual grace given to us in penance is an unfathomable guarantee that all of the sins that we've ever committed our entire life are completely forgiven. Talk about freedom. A deepening of our contrition, our sorrow and love for God, and the empowering by God to change daily habits, daily thoughts, <coughs> daily words and actions, attitudes, behaviors. These are the areas of our life in which we really need the grace of God for a transformation. And the grace of absolution gives us that. God the Holy Ghost gives us through this the power to be cleansed, forgiven, and reconciled, and to be transformed. We will lose, we will lose our taste for sin if we use the sacrament of penance. Its desire in us will begin to fade as we grow more and more into Christ's likeness. The sacrament should be repeated as often as needed. In fact, many Christians receive the sacrament of penance on a weekly or monthly basis in order to have a right context in which regularly to examine their spiritual lives and consciences and to receive spiritual counsel and advice by a priest of the church. Of course, it should go without saying, but let's say it again, that the sacrament of penance requires absolute privacy and confidentiality, which is called the seal of confession. Christians should feel free to use the sacrament as often as necessary or desired, for a priest must hear a confession at any place, at any time, if it is requested. And let me repeat that, please, especially for those of us who are priests. The sacrament of penance must be administered at any place, at any time, if it is requested. Because if a person is in such a state of spiritual need, it would be a grave sin for us to refuse the grace of absolution. Some of us have heard confessions on airplanes. Some of us have heard confessions at bus stops and train stations. Some of us have heard confessions in restaurants and shops. Some of us have even found ourselves hearing a confession in the men's room. These are all real stories. It happens. Uh, we must be prepared at any moment to receive a confession. And to refuse the confession of a willing penitent is a grave sin. So please let us remember that we must be prepared to hear a confession at any place, at any time. Because it is a matter of salvation. The person who is coming to confession may hang in the balance. It may, in fact, be a matter of spiritual life and death. And if such a person is so moved to make their confession to God, then we must readily be available to receive it. 
Now, no priest at any time may reveal anything ever stated or shared in the sacrament of penance on penalty of excommunication. This is called the seal of confession. Whatever is stated by the penitent to the priest is known only to the priest and to God himself. A priest cannot mention any information concerning the confession to any human being, not even to the penitent himself. For example, if a priest is hearing a regular confession from a regular penitent, and the penitent comes in for the confession, the priest is not allowed to mention anything that was said in the previous confession, unless the penitent introduces the subject. If the penitent introduces the subject, the confessor may indeed discuss the issue, but he cannot bring it up, and he certainly cannot mention it to any other human being. Christians, therefore, should feel confidence in coming to the use of confession. The greatest and holiest of the saints have used confession as the source of their spiritual growth and spiritual renewal. So the content of a past confession can only be discussed if the penitent himself wishes to discuss it again, and the penitent must reintroduce it to the priest. Otherwise, the content of such a confession is considered past and never to be mentioned again. The seal of confession exists to protect the faithful from scandal or personal injury and serves to allow the church to minister to the healing of specific sins without fear or recrimination or difficulty. If a priest reveals any information learned in the context of hearing a confession, he is automatically deposed from his ministry. A penitent is absolutely safe, or should be, in the context of confession to reveal all sins and ask of God mercy, pardon, and forgiveness. And from the priest, counsel, advice, and absolution. Now, for the sacrament to be valid, that is, properly communicating the grace which our Lord promises, the penitent must not intentionally withhold any known sins, but must openly confess all known sins with repentance and faith in the forum of the sacrament, trusting in God's forgiveness and mercy. Because, after all, What's the point of going to confession if someone's going to withhold a sin from God? That makes very little sense. So in order for the sacrament to be truly effective and efficacious, the person who makes the confession must disclose one's sins, and in the hearing of the priest. Now at this time, we will take a break for 15 minutes, and when we return, we'll go into more detail about repentance and penance, and how this operates in the spiritual life. Thank you. We will resume at 10.